Hello, this is Margaret Dixon at WTBR 89.7 FM Pittsfield on Page Turners. Today we're going to be reading uh, some Japanese ghost stories collected and translated by Lafcadio Hearn. Lafcadio Hearn was one of the first Westerners to translate and publish, you know, for English-speaking people, uh, Japanese folk tales and ghost stories. And he is very widely known in Japan, and I think in some parts of the English-speaking world, and he's still fondly remembered today. So we'll be reading some of his stuff. Most of these are very short, so we're going to be reading quite a few. And a bit of a warning to listeners is is that uh, a few of these stories are a little more, not super graphic and gory, but a little more violent than usual on this program. So listener discretion is advised. I would not recommend very young children listen to these. I don't recommend very young children listen to a lot of the stories on Page Turner. But, yep, anyway, let's start with the reconciliation. There was a young samurai of Kyoto who had been reduced to poverty by the ruin of his lord and found himself obliged to leave his home and to take service with the governor of a distant province. Before quitting the capital, the samurai divorced his wife, a good and beautiful woman, under the belief that he could better obtain promotion by another alliance. He then married the daughter of a family of some distinction and took her with him to the district whither he had been called. But it was in the time of the thoughtlessness of youth and the sharp experience of want that the samurai could not understand the worth of the affection so lightly cast away. His second marriage did not prove a happy one. The character of his new wife was hard and selfish, and he soon found every cause to think with regret of Kyoto days. Then he discovered that he still loved his first wife, loved her more than he could ever love the second, and he began to feel how unjust and how thankless he had been. Gradually his repentance deepened into a remorse that left him no peace of mind. Memories of the woman he had wronged, her gentle speech, her smiles, her dainty, pretty ways. Her faultless patience continually haunted him. Sometimes in dreams he saw her at her loom, "'weaving as when she toiled night and day to help him "'during the years of their distress. "'More often he saw her kneeling alone "'in the desolate little room where he had left her, "'veiling her tears with her poor worn sleeve. "'Even in the hours of official duty, "'his thoughts would wander back to her. "'Then he would ask himself how she was living, "'what she was doing. "'Something in his heart assured him "'that she could not accept another husband "'and that she would never refuse to pardon him.' and he secretly resolved to seek her out as soon as he could return to Kyoto, then to beg her forgiveness, to take her back, to do everything that a man could do to make atonement. But the years went by. At last the governor's official term expired, and the samurai was free. Now I will go back to my dear one, he vowed to himself. Ah, what a cruelty, what a folly to have divorced her. He sent his second wife to her own people. She had given him no children, and hurrying to Kyoto, he went at once to seek his former companion, not allowing himself even the time to change his traveling garb. 
When he reached the street where she used to live, it was late in the night, the night of the tenth day of the ninth month, and the city was silent as a cemetery. But a bright moon made everything visible, and he found the house without difficulty. It had a deserted look. Tall weeds were growing on the roof. He knocked at the sliding doors, and no one answered. Then, finding that the doors had not been fastened from within, he pushed them open and entered. The front room was matless and empty. A chilly wind was blowing through crevices in the planking, and the moon shone through a ragged break in the wall of the alcove. Other rooms presented a like forlorn condition. The house, to all seeming, was unoccupied. Nevertheless, the samurai determined to visit one other apartment at the farther end of the dwelling, a very small room that had been his wife's favorite resting place. Approaching the sliding screen that closed it, he was startled to perceive a glow within. He pushed the screen aside and uttered a cry of joy, for he saw her there, sewing by the light of a paper lamp. Her eyes at the same instant met his own, and with a happy smile she greeted him, asking only, "'When did you come back to Kyoto? How did you find your way here to me through all those black rooms?' The years had not changed her. Still she seemed as fair and young as in his fondest memory of her, but sweeter than any memory there came to him the music of her voice with its trembling of pleased wonder. Then joyfully he took his place beside her and told her all, how deeply he repented his selfishness, how wretched he had been without her, how constantly he had regretted her, how long he had hoped and planned to make amends, caressing her the while and asking her forgiveness over and over again. She answered him with loving gentleness, according to his heart's desire, entreating him to cease all self-reproach. It was wrong, she said, that he should have allowed himself to suffer on her account. She had always felt that she was not worthy to be his wife. She knew that he had separated from her, notwithstanding, only because of poverty. And while he lived with her, he had always been kind, and she had never ceased to pray for his happiness. But even if there had been a reason for speaking of amends, this honorable visit would be ample amends. What greater happiness than thus to see him again, though it were only for a moment. Only for a moment, he replied with a glad laugh, save rather for the time of seven existences. My loved one, unless you forbid, I am coming back to live with you always, always, always. Nothing shall ever separate us again. Now I have means and friends. We need not fear poverty. Tomorrow my goods will be brought here, and my servants will come to wait upon you, and we shall make this house beautiful. Tonight, he added apologetically, I came thus late, without even changing my dress, only because of the longing I had to see you, and to tell you this. She seemed greatly pleased by these words, and in her turn she told him all that had happened in Kyoto since the time of his departure, accepting her own sorrows of which she sweetly refused to speak. They chatted far into the night. Then she conducted him to a warmer room, facing south, a room that had been their bridal chamber in former time. "'Have you no one in the house to help you?' he asked, as she began to prepare the couch for him. "'No,' she answered, laughing cheerfully. "'I could not afford a servant, so I have been living all alone.' 
"'You will have plenty of servants tomorrow,' he said. "'Good servants, and everything else that you need.' They lay down to rest, not to sleep. They had too much to tell each other, and they talked of the past and the present and the future until the dawn was gray. Then, involuntarily, the samurai closed his eyes and slept. When he awoke, the daylight was streaming through the chinks of the sliding shutters, and he found himself, to his utter amazement, lying upon the naked boards of a moldering floor. Had he only dreamed a dream? No, she was there. She slept. He bent above her and looked and shrieked, for the sleeper had no face. Before him, wrapped in its grave sheet only, lay the corpse of a woman, a corpse so wasted that little remained save the bones and the long, black, tangled hair. Slowly, as he stood shuddering and sickening in the sun, the icy horror yielded to a despair so intolerable, a pain so atrocious that he clutched at the mocking shadow of a doubt. Feigning ignorance of the neighborhood, he ventured to ask his way to the house in which his wife had lived. "'There is no one in that house,' said the person questioned. "'It used to belong to the wife of a samurai who left the city several years ago. "'He divorced her in order to marry another woman before he went away.' and she fretted a great deal and so became sick. She had no relatives in Kyoto and nobody to care for her, and she died in the autumn of the same year, on the tenth day of the ninth month. Well, that was certainly depressing and scary, but, you know, it's a ghost story. It's not meant to be super cheerful. We'll read more from Lafcadio Hearn, but first, a message from our sponsor. Support for WTBR comes from MyCom Federal Credit Union, 101 Fen Street in Pittsfield, where their mission is to continue to promote the principle of people helping people while providing services that meet the diverse and ever-changing needs of their membership. MyCom Federal Credit Union, online at mycomcu.org. And, do you need help heating your home? Berkshire Community Action Council may be able to help. The Fuel Assistance Program is accepting new applications beginning November 1st. This program assists with your primary heating source, including all heating types. Once you're eligible for fuel assistance, you're also eligible for a discount on your electric bill. Go to bcacinc.org for more information. WTBR-FM is listener-supported radio. That means we depend on your donations to keep the station on the air. All the local content and the music you love requires your support. You can make your donation today at WTBRFM.com by calling 445-4234 or stopping by our studio at 4 Federico Drive in Pittsfield. You'd be glad you did. Pittsfield Community Radio, for the love of radio. Where's the kaboom? There was supposed to be an earth-shattering kaboom. Hello, welcome back. This is Margaret Dixon on Page Turners. For those just tuning in, we are reading the collection of ghost stories by Lafcadio Hearn. And this one is called The Legend of Yurei Daki. Near the village of Kurosaka in the province of Hoki, there is a waterfall called Yurei Daki, 
or the cascade of ghosts. Why is it so called, I do not know. Near the foot of the fall, there is a small Shinto shrine of the god of the locality, whom the people name Taki Daimyojin, and in front of the shrine is a little wooden money box, a Saisenbako, as it is called in Japanese, to receive the offerings of believers. And there is a story about that money box. One icy winter's evening, 35 years ago, the women and girls employed at a certain Asatariba, or hemp factory, in Kurosaka, gathered around the big brazier in the spinning room after their day's work had been done. Then they amused themselves by telling ghost stories. By the time that a dozen stories had been told, most of the gathering felt uncomfortable. And a girl cried out just to heighten the pleasure of fear, only think of going this night all by oneself to the Uredaki. The suggestion provoked a general scream, followed by nervous bursts of laughter. I'll give all the hemp I spun today, mockingly said one of the party, to the person who goes. So will I, exclaimed another. And I, said a third. All of us, affirmed a fourth. Then, from among the spinners, stood up one Yasumoto Okatsu, the wife of a carpenter. She had her only son, a boy of two years old, snugly wrapped up and asleep upon her back. Listen, said Okatsu, if you will all really agree to make over to me all the hemp spun today, I will go to the Uredaki. Her proposal was received with cries of astonishment and of defiance. But after having been several times repeated, it was seriously taken. Each of the spinners, in turn, agreed to give up her share of the day's work to Okatsu, providing that Okatsu should go to the Uredaki. "'But how are we to know if she really goes there?' a sharp voice asked. "'Why, let her bring back the money box of the god,' answered an old woman whom the spinners called Obasan, the grandmother. "'That will be proof enough.' "'I'll bring it,' cried Okatsu, and out she darted into the street with her sleeping boy upon her back. The night was frosty, but clear. Down the empty street, Okatsu hurried, and she saw that all the house fronts were tightly closed because of the piercing cold. Out of the village and along the high road she ran, with the great silence of frozen rice fields on either hand, and only the stars to light her. Half an hour she followed the open road. Then she turned down a narrower way, winding under cliffs. Darker and rougher the path became as she proceeded, but she knew it well, and she soon heard the dull roar of the water. A few minutes more and the way widened into a glen, and the dull roar suddenly became a loud clamor, and before her she saw, looming against a mass of blackness, the long glimmering of the fall. Dimly she perceived the shrine, the money box. She rushed forward, put out her hand. Oi, Okatsu-san! Suddenly called a warning voice above the crash of the water. Okatsu stood motionless, stupefied by terror. Oi, Okatsu-san! Again pealed the voice, this time with more of menace in its tone. 
but Okatsu was really a bold woman. At once recovering from her stupefaction, she snatched up the money box and ran. She neither heard nor saw anything more to alarm her until she reached the high road, where she stopped a moment to take breath. Then she ran on steadily till she got to Kurosaka and thumped at the door of the Asatariba. How the woman and the girls cried out as she entered, panting with the money box of the god in her hand. Breathlessly they heard her story. Sympathetically they screeched when she told them of the voice that had called her name twice out of the haunted water. What a woman! Brave Okatsu! Well had she earned the hemp! But your boy must be cold, Okatsu, cried the Obasan. Let us have him here by the fire. He ought to be hungry, exclaimed the mother. I must give him his milk presently. Poor Okatsu, said the Obasan, helping to remove the wraps in which the boy had been carried. Why, you are all wet behind. Then, with a husky scream, the helper vociferated. Hurrah! It is... Blood! And out of the wrappings, unfastened there, fell to the floor a blood soaked bundle of baby clothes that left exposed two very small brown feet and two very small brown hands. Nothing more. The child's head had been torn off. Yikes, is all I can say to that. Well, that and don't steal the money box of the gods. Just don't, apparently. All right, we will be reading uh, a few more stories by him. Like I said, they're very short, but we're not going to be reading the whole book, of course, but we still have a good amount left. For those just tuning in, this is Margaret Dixon on Page Turners reading Japanese ghost stories collected by Lefkadio Hearn. This one is called Mujina. On the Akasaka Road in Tokyo, there is a slope called Kino Kunizaka, which means the slope of the province of Ki. I do not know why it is called the slope of the province of Ki. On one side of the slope, you see an ancient moat, deep and very wide, with high green banks rising up to some place of gardens. And on the other side of the road extend the long and lofty walls of an imperial palace. Before the era of street lamps and jinrikishas, or rickshaws as they're known in English, this neighborhood was very lonesome after dark, and belated pedestrians would go miles out of their way rather than mount the Kino Kunizaka alone after sunset. All because of a mujina that used to walk there. The last man who saw the Mujina was an old merchant of the Kiyobashi quarter who died about 30 years ago. This is the story as he told it. One night at a late hour, he was hurrying up the Kino Kunizaka when he perceived a woman crouching by the moat, all alone and weeping bitterly. Fearing that she intended to drown herself, he stopped to offer her any assistance or consolation in his power. She appeared to be a slight and graceful person, handsomely dressed, and her hair was arranged like that of a young girl of good family. Ojochu, oh, he exclaimed, approaching her. Ojochu, oh, 
is a term called honorable damsel. It, it's a polite form of address used in speaking to a young lady whom one does not know. That's what the author's note says. Ojochu, do not cry like that. Tell me what the trouble is, and if there be any way to help you, I shall be glad to help you. He really meant what he said, for he was a very kind man. But she continued to weep, hiding her face from him with one of her long sleeves. Ojochu, he said again, as gently as he could, please, please listen to me. This is no place for a young lady at night. Do not cry, I implore you. Only tell me how I may be of some help to you. Slowly she rose up, but turned her back to him and continued to moan and sob behind her sleeve. He laid his hand lightly upon her shoulder and pleaded, Hojochu, 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 listen to me, just for one little moment. Hojochu, Hojochu. Then that Hojochu turned around and dropped her sleeve and stroked her face with her hand, and the man saw that she had no eyes or nose or mouth, and he screamed and ran away. Up Kino Kunizaka he ran and ran, and all was black and empty before him. On and on he ran, never daring to look back, and at last he saw a lantern so far away that it looked like the gleam of a firefly, and he made for it. It proved to be only the lantern of a traveling soba noodle seller who had set down his stand by the roadside, but any light and any human companionship was good after that experience, and he flung himself down at the feet of the soba seller, crying out, Kore, Kore, roughly exclaimed the soba man. Here, what is the matter with you? Anybody hurt you? No, nobody hurt me, panted the other. Only, only, only scared you, queried the peddler unsympathetically. Robbers? Not robbers, not robbers, gasped the terrified man. I saw, I saw a woman by the moat and she showed me. Ah, I cannot tell you what she showed me. <laughs> Was it anything like this she showed you? cried the soba man, stroking his own face, which therewith became smooth and featureless, like unto an egg, and simultaneously the light went out. Well, that certainly was very creepy. And I think we're just about done here today, but I will enjoy reading more of this guy's stories in the future to you on Page Turners, as well as other scary stories. It has been a delight reading to you, as always, and I hope you've enjoyed listening to me. This is Margaret Dixon on Page Turners.